Thank you, Mary Ann. It's always good when Mary Ann can come home and share with us, so we're thank God for that. It's good to see you tonight in the house of the Lord, and I want to invite your attention to the book of 2 Corinthians, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 2 tonight, and we're going to look in verse 12 through 17, 12 through 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the inadequacy of preachers and the adequacy of God. The inadequacy of preachers and the adequacy of God. Tonight, start a reading in verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 2. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord, and I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one, we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other, the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. But as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can come on a Sunday evening. And Lord, just set this time aside, Lord, to open up your book and to have your spirit speak to our hearts tonight. And Lord, to come together in worship and song and prayer, praise, adoration from our hearts towards you, uh, Lord, because that you're worthy. So, Lord... Uh, tonight, as the kids meet together for Awana and those who lead them, God, I pray that it would be a fruitful time in their life, God, and Lord, just use it as one of the building blocks of their faith, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. You know, Paul, uh, like I, or I guess any other uh, minister of the gospel, that they wouldn't trade uh, what they are and what they do for any other way of life there is and uh, there's no doubt that it is a life that is well supplied with joy that is well supplied with blessing and wonderful uh, experiences throughout uh, the life but also uh, at the same time uh, the life of ministry is also well supplied with heartache well supplied uh, with difficulty well supplied with discouragement as well And each and every uh, person who uh, serves the Lord in that capacity, that they experience both, uh, both the the good times and the tough times of ministry. Now, one of the greatest English-speaking preachers to have ever walked the planet was a fellow by the name of Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon said this, he says, fits of depression come over the most of us. Usually cheerful as we may be, we must at intervals be cast down. The strong are not always vigorous, the wise not always ready, the brave not always courageous, and the joyous not always happy. There there may be here and there men of iron of whom wear and tear work no uh, perceptible detriment, but surely the rust frets over these. And as for ordinary men, the Lord knows and makes them know that they are but dust. One of the greatest preachers of all time, uh, that he just expressed the reality 
of what it means to serve the Lord in, in Christian ministry, to serve as a pastor, to serve as a preacher. Now, many men begin in ministry, but very few finish in ministry. Very, few begin, very many begin, but very few finish in ministry. As I, I look this afternoon, uh, looking up in uh, Pastoral Care, Inc., uh, it gives some surveys, statistics from uh, Barna Lifeway and, and that, that sort of thing. It says, one out of ten will retire being a minister. Of the ten that start in ministry, one will retire being a minister. Ninety percent of pastors report that ministry is totally different than they expected. Fifty-four percent found the role of a pastor as overwhelming. Seventy percent have a lower self-image than when they started. Thirty-five <laughs> percent battle depression and fear of inadequacy every day in their life. And those are just a few of the glamorous parts of ministry right there. But like Spurgeon, like the men responding to these surveys, uh, Paul, the great apostle Paul, that he had to deal with life, that he had to deal with reality, that he had to deal with difficulty, that he had to deal with broken relationships, that he had to deal with trouble, he had to deal with discouragement, that he had to deal with the realities of ministry. And yet... It was his own testimony there in 2 Timothy that he had fought a good fight and that he had kept the faith. And so it isn't impossible, but it is a tough journey. And, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, obviously I'm just preaching through this book. I'm not up here patting preachers on the back, uh, but I do think it comes at a good time. I really, you know, as you think about it, but... You know, it was this church, the church at Corinth, that probably gave Paul more heartache than any other. More sleep was lost over this church probably than any other. And later on in this very book, in chapter 11, he says that there was the physical demands of the job that he had, and he said, and beyond all that, there was the care of the churches. Those things that weighed on him even more heavily than the physical demands of what he did. I think it's the mental, it's the emotional wringing out of a person day in and day out. I think that's what I, I come to liken it to that. To an emotional, to a physical, and sometimes a spiritual wringing out. Just often uh, in, in our lives. Sometimes uh, dealing with things that uh, people say and people perceive that aren't necessarily true. Uh, people believe in the worst in you instead of the best in you. Uh, people that are careless with their lives. Unconcern. Lack of commitment. All these things that you deal with. Now, Corinth was a messed up church. Had sexual sin. They, had, they even messed up the Lord's Supper for crying out loud. Yeah. Yeah. 
They were suing one another. They were fighting one another. They'd rather believe a lie than the truth. And that was all the church. But in spite of it all, Paul loved the church. He loved it with all of his heart. And that he wasn't going to change that. But you know, with deep love comes the potential and the possibility of deep hurt. That's in every area of our life. The things that hurt the worst are the things that you love and you care about the most. And so that was reality for Paul. And so, that, so it is a reality for all those uh, that feel certain of their call, that have a passion for what God has placed in their life. So in these few verses tonight, we'll see the Corinthians brought great discouragement. And then lastly, that Christ brought great encouragement. And that's really, that's really it, that, you know, we're, we're dealing with imperfect, broken people. And those imperfect, broken people, whoever that we are, that we ultimately, that we discourage in a lot of ways. And it's really, if we look for our strength, if we look for our lifeblood uh, to be in people, that we're going to be discouraged. And Paul, Paul knew that, but yet he couldn't help. He couldn't help in his life, but from time to time, uh, that those things brought him down. But we even see uh, here intertwined together that in the midst of Paul's despair, that he turned his eyes toward the face of the Lord Jesus Christ where he knew it should be all along. And in the midst of his despair that Christ Jesus brought great encouragement in his heart and life. And that's the way it is and that's the way it's forever uh, going to be, I think. So Paul, uh, after leaving uh, Ephesus, that he traveled to Troas. And some scholars believe that he left Ephesus because of the riot that broke out there and and for safety's sake that he headed on to another place and they very well uh, may be right uh, maybe some of the motivation for what he did but we know for certain without any speculation that he went uh, to Troas in order to meet up with his dear friend Titus that he had sent back to Corinth up there that he would go and to minister to them people there in Corinth and to encourage them and to really to gauge and to take the temperature of, of that church after that Paul had written back to them in a, with a letter of correction to see exactly what was going on and to see if they were following what he had told them to do. So while waiting for Titus, uh, Paul did what Paul did best is what we uh, see here uh, before us in this text of scriptures is when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened unto me of the Lord. That in the midst of he being there and ministering and waiting, wanting to see his friend, his colleague in the Lord, that he preached and he saturated the place with the gospel. And any time that we see that a the phrase, a door was opened. That, that's one of the great uh, catchphrases that the Apostle Paul uses. 
as he sees that God is working in a mighty way and that God is orchestrating things in order for him to be able to preach the gospel. And I'm amazed how that in the midst of difficulty that Paul always sees the open door that God opens. And I believe, I believe there's probably a lot more open doors out there than you and I see in the midst of our trouble. And for Paul, that God had given him the ability, given him the faith, to be able to see the open doors of ministry. And he uses this phrase in 1 Corinthians and Acts and in Colossians. But even in the midst of a divine appointment where, where Paul readily and easily recognized uh, that God had opened up a great door for him of ministry, that Paul found himself in a place that he was so burdened that Paul was so concerned, that Paul was so consumed with Titus, that he was so consumed with those people there at Corinth, that he was uh, in the unknown condition where those people, were they following Christ? Were they continuing on in their sinful state? Were they fussing and fighting? Were they bending Titus's ear about who Paul really was? All these things were going on in the heart and in the mind of the Apostle Paul. And so Paul became so distracted by these peripheral things that he was unable to minister in the place where he knew for sure well that God had opened the door. Isn't that awesome? No, it's terrible. It's terrible that a man like Paul recognizing what God has done and opening the opportunity, knowing that there was all sorts of opportunity there, and yet because of the circumstances of his life, yet because of the care and the concern that he had for ministry, that he was, it, he, it, in essence, he imploded there for a little while and he was unable to carry out what he knew full well that God had sent him there to do. And that sounds so unspiritual. And yet, that's where this spiritual giant found himself at. And if you were to take a poll of any of the pastors that are here tonight that they can fully comprehend and they can fully uh, understand where Paul is coming from. And so it is a reality. So what's that mean for you? Say, Ronnie, I'm not a pastor. No, but I think that this definitely has application for your life as well, that you can be in the midst of doing good things and serving in ways that you know God is honoring and blessing, and you can be so distraught with the cares of ministry that you just don't know what to do. That's for everybody. But I, but I encourage you as a church... And, and as, I, as, I, as I say this, I want to thank you for your graciousness and kindness that you show and support that you show me. I, I'm, I'm so humbled by that every, every day. But I think at the same time, hey, I, I may be dead and gone tomorrow, and you may have a new preacher next week, all right? So for his benefit, for his benefit, I want you to take in what's being said here and be, be compassionate and try to be understanding and be prayerful and be supportive of that man of God who has probably got more going on in his heart and mind than you can ever comprehend. Right. 
So if not for me, but for the next person and the next person, may God teach us tonight. So Paul, that we learned that he was in a tough spot spiritually. He was a tough spot emotionally. He was in a tough spot mentally. And Paul confesses. And he lays out in black ink here what happens many times to men of God who get burnt out, who get washed out, who get voted out, whatever kind of outs we can think of. All these things in the midst of knowing that that's full well where God would have them to be. And so if it's true for Paul, and I confess from time to time it's true for me, and it's true for everyone, that we need to be aware and know that sometimes in ministry there's nowhere to get off the bus. He couldn't clock out. He couldn't get it off his mind. And so that's where Paul found himself at. All because of the discouragement from the church that he loved so very much. That's a reality. And so look in the second part of this. In the end of 14 through 17, you see what's Paul's encouragement. Now thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ... And maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. Now, notice the change just between uh, 12 and 13 there in what we see in verse 14. Now, thanks be unto God. We see that there is a distinct and definite change in, in Paul's disposition and attitude in these verses. Now, uh, we don't know exactly, uh, you know, how, how things have progressed and transpired, but at the end of 13, he says, I went from thence into Macedonia. So between 12 and 13 and 14, that Paul has now traveled from Troas, that he has traveled northwest up to Macedonia, which is probably halfway, uh, halfway point between Troas and Corinth. And so he couldn't, he didn't, he didn't meet up with Titus and Troas. So he, and his desire was to try to cut him off uh, there in Macedonia. I don't know how long that took. I don't know if he traveled all that. I don't know if he went by boat or how he did that. But in that process of leaving Troas and getting to Macedonia, that, that there had been a change in his heart. And now we see a different attitude being reflected in Paul. There's a, you know, a, a, a shift in his focus and his shift from his problems, a shift from uh, not just problems, but potential problems. Can I confess that I worry as much about potential problems as I do problems? And you know as well as I do, what's the st 
statistic that 90% of the potential problems never pan out to be problems anyway, and that's a problem. Right? Yes. But I'm always always looking down the track. What's this going to cause? What's going to be the effect of this? And I believe that Paul might have been much in the same shape, that he focused on the problems, he focused on the potential problems, but now in verse number 14 we see that his focus is now changed to God who causes him to triumph. Now that's a great verse right there. That's a powerful, that's a life-changing verse. Thanks be unto God which always causes us to triumph in Christ. That might be worth pulling out the highlighter for. MacArthur quotes Barclay in saying that we need to really understand the noun triumph before we can understand the verb triumph. Barclay goes on to describe what the Roman triumph really was. And you listen to this. Because it really gives you some good uh, background as to what's meant here. It says, the Roman triumph was the highest honor given to a Roman general. It's only given if if certain requirements are fulfilled. And he lists, I think there's five of them here. Number one, there was a Roman triumph if this general, if he was the actual commander-in-chief, in the field. All right? Number two, the campaign must be finished, the region secure, and the troops home. Number two. So there's number three now. 5,000 enemy must have fallen in one engagement. Four, you must have gained territory. Five, It must have occurred over a foreign foe and not in a civil war. Now, a Roman triumph, it was a grand celebration. A Roman general and all the pomp and circumstance. That's what a Roman triumph was. And as they thought about this Roman triumph, their mind went to us being having triumph through Christ. This is what their mind went to. Now, if that occurred, then this triumph would be arranged. It would be arranged. First, in this procession of people, would be the state officials, the senators. Next, would be uh, a large number of trumpeters. Next, the spoils of victory would be paraded through the town. Next, Pictures and models of the land that was conquered would be on display for the people to see. Next, there would be a a white bull that would be uh, brought through the city streets to be sacrificed. Next, the captive princes and generals that would soon be executed would be marched in front of the people. Next, were the musicians and the pagan priests that were burning the incense that would fill the streets. Then came the general himself, drawn by a chariot and four magnificent horses. 
He himself would be arrayed in purple, that there would be great, great numbers of flowers, great great displays of ivory that would be all around him and in his hand he would carry this ivory sepulcher with the Roman eagle on top showing their power. And then his family would come and then all of his troops that were in battle with him that they would come marching in and all of their decoration and all of their fanfare and all of their shouting for triumph. And through the streets and before all of the people that the general would have his day of triumph. And what a beautiful picture. Of what it is to walk in triumph. And that is exactly what God desires for you and for me, for men of God, to be able to walk in that sort of triumph, not because of who they are, not because of something they've attained, not because of the diploma that's upon their wall but because of the victory that Christ Jesus has won. We're not the general. Christ Jesus is the general. But we're his family. That we're his troops. And we get to enjoy everything that he has accomplished. That's walking in triumph. Thanks be unto God. Which always, that's a good word, always. Not not just when times are good. Every day that he always causes us to triumph in Christ. You see that God, God just doesn't come to work when the sun's out. He comes to work every day. When it's cloudy, when it's gloomy, when the rain is pouring, when the winds are howling, that God is always on the job. Every situation, every circumstance. Paul wasn't anything. He wasn't who he was by his own achievement. He says, I am by what I am, what? By the grace of God. That's it. That's my story. That's your story. That Christ Jesus, that he's conquered. He's won. He's victorious. Colossians 2, 15. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly triumphing over them. Romans 8, 37, in all things that we are more than conquerors. We are super conquerors through him that loved us. You know, Paul, he had setbacks. I have setbacks. You have setbacks that we have difficult seasons. But we are walking with a mighty conqueror. 
And he goes on to say, And maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place, for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. A savor. You know, I, I was describing the triumph that the streets would be laden with flowers. That the streets would be overcome by the incense that would be offered by those priests that were going through the city. Everywhere, in the streets and in the air, there was the savor, that there was the smell, that there was the fragrance of victory. A manifest. It says manifest the savor. That's what he says here, manifest. Manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Talking about a presence. He's talking about an attitude. He's talking about influence. He's talking about our very disposition. That you and I, that we have victory. And there, in that triumph, that there was excitement in the air. That there was victory in the air. Have you ever been to a ball game when, man, the pressure is on and, man, these guys are giving it their all and there is, a, there is a momentum shift or a momentum swing that one team now has the momentum and you're very certain that they are now going to win just because of the momentum. That's the idea. You know, sometimes after church, on Sunday night, we may go to Los Pinos, all right? That's the Mexican place, all right, by pockets. And you go to Los Pinos, and you go home, and you smell like Los Pinos. <laughs> You've been in Los Pinos, but Los Pinos has gotten you. That's how it is. When we're in Christ, the Christ, always, he also gets in us. When you get in Christ and he gets in you, you're not going to have to do a whole lot. Just let it happen. And that's what he's talking about. That that savor, that essence, that smell and that aroma... Scott Soloway, my Sunday school teacher, he likes to talk about this a little bit. That aroma of Christ. We enjoy being a part of what God is doing. That we enjoy being a part of the celebration of the victory. I think that that would do us some good as Baptist people. That maybe we would have a change of mindset that when we come in this place together... That we realize that we're not coming in here as dad talks about in the funeral. We're not coming to mourn a corpse. But we come in here as the church of the living God. That we celebrate a victory and we enjoy a victory. And it, the joy of our heart ought to sweep over this place. And it should permeate our lives on Monday morning and Tuesday and Wednesday. It shouldn't just be Sunday. But it should just come out of us all through the week. Because of what Christ has done in our lives. 
Now, as I said, we aren't the general, but we get to enjoy it nonetheless. That's awesome. That we get to enjoy the triumph of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. Now, Paul's ministry in one aspect, there's no doubt that all ministry is to men. But in the bigger picture of things, all the things that we do, whether it's a pastor or a layman or whatever it is, that everything that we do is really unto Christ. It's unto God. It's not unto us. It's a ministry unto God. A preacher preaches. A preacher may have congregation and sheep that he cares for and a Minister finds all sorts of situations that he's uh, able to interact with people, but it all goes ultimately to the throne of God. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, that we, that, that the essence of our life, that it's a beautiful thing to God as through us that His Son Jesus just floats up to Him. It says, in them that are saved and in them that perish. Hmm. In the triumph, there were both victors and they were captives. Some victorious, some were getting ready to get killed. But they all smelt the aroma and the fragrance of the flowers that lined the streets. And that's how Christ Jesus is. Some people, some people experience the salvation of the Lord and they take it for themselves. Other people that they, they experience, they, they know and they hear and Christ Jesus comes across their life and yet they reject the Lord Jesus Christ. You can do with Him what you want to do. You can accept Him or you can reject Him before the victor, the smell of those flowers is sweet. But for that one who's getting ready to die, the smell of that flower, that it's bitter. It's hard to take. That's how it is with the gospel. We can get in here and we can talk about the love of Jesus. That He died on the cross, that He rose again, that He resurrected, He's coming back again. And man, we can hoop and holler about that. For a lost man, that's not good news. If you're not ready, this aroma that's beautiful to a saved person, that means death and destruction for those who don't know Him. How, how should they, why should they react any differently to the gospel? It means eternal damnation to them. We shouldn't ex expect an unbeliever to want to flock to church to hear about that. Anyhow, for some, Jesus is the cornerstone. And for some, he's the stumbling block. Last of 16 and 17. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, 
but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. So, who is sufficient? Who's up for the task? What Paul says. I think he knew that probably some people that were reading this would say, Paul, you're such a crybaby. You are such a wimp. But Paul says, who's up for this job? Paul said, who's up for it? He said, I'm not up for it. Ronnie Stinson's not up for it. Johnny Hunt's not up for it. Jack Graham's not up for it. The dude that looks like Richard Scoggins is not up for it. Robert Jeffries. No one in their human ability is up for it. Only God can equip. Only God can make it possible. There's nothing that any man can do to change any man's life. I don't care how great you are. I don't care how motivating you are. doesn't matter how intellectual you are. You have nothing. I have nothing. No man has one thing that will change another man's life. Only God. Only God can do that. Only God can do eternal things. So, he repeats it in 3.5. I think it's worth repeating. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1, 29, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. He knew it wasn't him. It was God working in and through him. That's it. That's your story and my story. It's God working in us. So that's who's sufficient for these things. Nobody. Goose egg. Only God working through feeble men. 17, we're done. For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity. You might have a translation that uses uh, the word peddling, peddling the word of God. But the idea here is he's saying that he is not as one who waters down the word of God. That he is not as one who presents a cheap imitation of the real thing. So Paul, that he is somewhat defending his own ministry and saying that even though from time to time that he gets down, from time to time that he gets discouraged, from time to time that he may get knocked off his feet every now and then. He says, but at the end of the day, I know that it's not anything that I do anyway. And he says, you can take this to the bank that I'm not going to water down the Word of God. Take this to the bank that I'm going to give you the real deal of the Word of God. I'm not out here trying to make a living. I'm not out 
here trying to make a name for myself. I'm just out here and enjoying the triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, I do it with sincerity. In that word, it means to be able to hold up to the light. To be without any cracks. He says that what I do, I do with sincerity. You can hold me up to the light. He says, I think I'll undergo the scrutiny that you can dish out. Because I'm just walking in the triumph of Christ. And so... You, and definitely I, that I am not up to the task. The inadequacy of preachers. Well, we're a bad, we're we're a mess. We're a mess. Some of us will admit to it and some of us won't, but we're a mess. We're inadequate for the task ahead. But we serve a God who is more than enough. That he is more than adequate. Thank God that we have triumph through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what we enjoy. That's what we walk in. That is our victory. And that is the very essence. Is to be the very essence of our life. Let's pray together. God, tonight we give you this time as best we know how. And God, we pray that you'd work. God, thank you for the freshness of your word. And God, thank you that you speak to the preacher's heart just like you do everybody else's. And maybe more so, God. I need it more. And Father, I pray that that I, like Paul, the Lord, that I would always know where my sufficiency really is. And Father, that I would demonstrate that in my life. And Lord, knowing full well that from time to time that I'm going to take my eyes off of you. But God, help me. Help me that that would be a short window. And Lord, I'll quickly turn back to you. Lord, help me to to live that in front of your people, God, who, just like their pastor, that sometimes, sometimes they're not where they need to be. We get discouraged. We get our eyes on people. We get our eyes on circumstances. But Lord God, help us to keep our eyes on Christ and what he has done for us. Have your way in this place, in this time, is our prayer. In the name of Jesus.